I wanted a Mary Poppins who would make my life happy. I wanted her to be happy. I wanted her to make everybody else happy. I wanted her to make me happy. I wanted that bubbly personality who was always happy. And then, but I wanted her to look like a Dallas Cowboy cheerleader. You love the Dallas Cowboys. <laughs> Because I thought someday I'm going to go play for them because I played football. You know, that's part of the fantasy, too. I'm going to be this great big football player, and I'm going to find my cheerleader who has the personality of Mary Poppins. No, no small order there. Welcome to Along the Way. I'm John Matarazzo, your host and fellow traveler. Thank you for joining me along my way as I try to become more like Jesus every day. When Philip and Arlena Fields started their relationship, everything looked perfect, but their perfect life was shattered after difficult setbacks. Philip faced a life-threatening illness, and Arlena had her own struggles to face. In this conversation, you'll hear their journey of how they broke free from their prison of the fantasy of perfection. I'll get to that conversation in just a moment, but as always, I want to thank you for listening to Along the Way. I hope that you like what you hear and you subscribe. Please rate and review Along the Way on Apple Podcast or wherever you're listening. All of my socials and contact links are in my show notes. And you can check out all of my episodes and join my email list at my website, alongtheway.media. I would love to hear from you. I also have a Patreon page if you want to help me to continue to put up these Along the Way episodes. If you'd like to become a Patreon supporter, simply go to patreon.com slash alongtheway and select a level. The link to become a supporter is in my show notes. And now, here is my Along the Way conversation with Philip and Darlena Fields. Phil and Darlena Fields, it's great to have you guys along the way. They are the authors of The Unperfect Marriage, The Liberation for Couples Trapped in the Fantasy of Perfection. Uh, They also have the website, BeCourageousCoaching.com. That's all one word, BeCourageousCoaching.com. And you can see all the stuff that they're doing. But it's great to have you guys with us on along the way. Yeah. Thanks, Thanks for, for having, having us. us today. Glad to be here. I always like having the opportunity to talk with uh, people that are married and they have a call towards married people and helping with that because I'm not married at this point in my life, but that is something that I have a desire for. Mm-hmm. The whole premise of this podcast and these conversations that I have is to learn from other people's experience and to see how God has brought them through the journey in in their life along the way and how I can learn from their ups and downs and your ups and downs so that I hopefully don't make those same mistakes and I can move forward with that. So Phil and Darlena, thank you guys for being here. And I'm going to ask you if you would share part of your story and how God has brought you to where you are today and kind of where you started, how you guys met and how you decided that you want to talk about marriage relationships and coaching. So that's kind of a long a long setup, but I'm going to just let you guys go. Uh, I will talk about the, you wanted to know how we met, right? That's one of my favorite stories. Yeah. Yeah. So we did go to college together at Oral Roberts University and I attended the church where Philip was um, a pastor on staff as a youth pastor. And me and my girlfriends would um, go to church together on Sundays. And one of my girlfriends had a crush on Philip. <laughs> so every Sunday I got to hear her go on and on about his hot white suit or whatever he happened to be wearing that Sunday. <laughs> and then uh, we both ended up going to the same graduate school as well to get our master's in counseling, Regent University. And mm. I saw him my first week of school and I saw him do a double take. Wait, and you saw him do a double take. I saw him do a double take at me first week of school. And I'm like, Oh, there's that pastor Phil guy. That's what he was called back then. And 
time went on and I ended up going to work for student services on campus, Mm -hmm. one of my free jobs, trying to work my way through graduate school. And there was a church matching scholarship. So people would send in support checks and I would have to call him to come pick them up. And he would never come in when I, when I was working. So I got kind of um, forthright. Uh, I said, I want you to come in this day at this time. Cause I want to talk to you. And so he did. He obeyed. <laughs> <laughs> he did what he was told. So it was funny. And the moment he walked in my, my um, office, our eyes connected. And I just, I, it felt like that all time stopped and love songs started playing in the background and it was when everything went slow-mo and I had not believed in love at first sight up until that point. Mm-hmm. But then I was sold on it after that because it was definitely a love at first sight connection. And one of the cool things about it was that I had been engaged prior to meeting Philip or us getting together. And it was really devastating for me. And I gave a year of my life to the Lord. And this is something good to share. I'm sharing this because I know this is other people are going to hear this besides just married couples. I gave a year of my life to the Lord and I just wanted to devote myself to him to get to know, um, be in relationship with him. And the day that Philip walked into my, and I, I committed to not date during this year, but the day Philip walked in the office was the day my year was up. So it was, uh, I don't think that was coincident. No, no, I and, think that's a God thing. And then, yeah, it was a God thing. And our first date, I heard the Lord tell me that this was my soulmate. And it was quite a moment. I won't go into details, but I didn't let him know at the time. But obviously he saw that, heard the same thing because um, he we were engaged three months later. Oh, so, wow. But we were older when we met. Okay. So we're in our mid-20s. We had been around the, uh, the block enough to know that we were made for each other and God was telling us to get married. So that's a little snippet of how we met. That's pretty cool. So tell me about that double take, Phil. Uh, <laughs> she caught you with the double take. What was going on in your mind at that point? So all men are given to the double take. It's just <laughs> how you practice it, you know? And so you try to be subtle, uh-huh. but there are occasions when a creature walks before you that you must see more than once. <laughs> And so nice she, she went by me in a cute little skirt. And, uh, you know, in that moment I was observing God's goodness. Mm-hmm. And so she caught me, she caught me. I, uh, she was going down a little set of stairs and I looked to my left and saw her and there she was. And I thought, well, I, I didn't see as much as I wanted to. <laughs> so, so I looked again and she caught me. Uh-huh. And to this day, I, I'm accustomed to those double takes. There you go. That's, that's a description of a double take. Yeah. That is a good description <laughs> of a double take. So she said, or you had opportunities to come into the office where she was, but you just weren't coming there at that same time. Yeah. What was going on? Why were you dragging your feet? Well, you know, as a man, a lot of times we're a little dense, uh-huh. you know, we, Absolutely. Don't, we don't get, we don't get the first message. And I certainly didn't connect the voice to the skirt. Oh, Had I known okay. Here we, yeah, makes represented sense. the skirt, I would have gone blazing across the campus <laughs> to the office, but I didn't put those two together. <laughs> so just being a dense guy that, you know, who's, 
not worried about details and I'll, yeah. you know, whoever this is, it's bugging me. Of course, back then we don't text and have all this stuff going on. Sure. You know, it was phone calls. And so it was on the answering machine and yeah, I'll get to it. And that's what it was. It wasn't anything personal. Uh -huh. Okay. It wasn't this, it wasn't that you uh, were just sheepish or timid. You just uh, didn't know who it was. I definitely was shy. There's no doubt about that. Even, okay. even the double take kind of embarrassed me, but <laughs> you know, I just was really slow to move. And so her aggressiveness, when she called that day, I thought, well, okay. Uh, you know, this girl, maybe she knows me from somewhere or something. It would just be friends, whatever. But the moment I saw her, I was like, oh, there's the skirt. That's her. <laughs> <laughs> so, Darlena, you said that you were at ORU at the same time. Did you guys interact yeah. at all there? No. no. He didn't know who I was, but I knew who he was. Because of your he friend. Worked there. Yeah. Well, he also, we also attended a very large charismatic church. And so back in the day, you know, the pastor's kind of paraded in after worship started and it was quite a well-known pastor. So he had a security guard. It was quite a, you know, quite a show. And the stage seemed like it was like six or eight foot above the people. So you had to look up at them and he's all the pastors sat on stage. So that was how I remembered him was that okay. pastor Phil, a roommate had a crush on him. I think they ended up going out a time or two, but that was my memory of him. And so I was just really just wanting just knew that he was an ORU alumni and he and my girlfriends had lots of get togethers and wanted to invite the ORU alumni. And mm -hmm. so it was a friend thing at first until that, that walk into the office and love is a mini splendor thing is playing in the background. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. So you guys were engaged three months later. Yes. So how did that move so fast? Cause that's even in uh, the Christian college uh, university scene, that's, that's pretty fast. Well, I think we were both ready for it. I was 28. She was 27, you know, and so I think that both of us had decided that the next one should be it. And I think there was some maturity in that we were ready. We weren't really interested in dating anymore. And, you know, we wanted to have a serious relationship. And I think that both of us spiritually were ripe. You know, we were praying into, you know, our purpose in life and things like that. And there was a congruence when we talked. And, and so, you know, I'm, I'm a man of action when I determine, you know, uh, I'm going to go after something I typically do. And in this case it was her. And mm -hmm. so I, uh, I, I actually <laughs> funny story. I made this long back in the day. I didn't have a really good car and her parents lived in Texas. And so she'd gone home <clears throat> over a Thanksgiving break. And I was like, I'm going to go there and ask her father if I can marry him. Well, I didn't have a car that can make it to Texas. So I rode Greyhound bus. And so from Virginia beach to Texas was a 28 hour ride. Wow. And they stopped in every little town on the way. The bus would get up to about 55 and it would decelerate and we'd pull into another. So I was dead dog tired, fell into the, yeah, he fell on the floor. He rolled, he rolled off the back seat of my mom's van in the floor, dead asleep. About Passed five out, seconds basically. after we picked him up from the bus nice station. Nice to meet so, you. Nice to meet you. <laughs> I want to jump in and say that, yeah. yes, all that was true that Philip just said about us deciding that we were that, to marry one another. But when you're believers, you know, you're really looking for a word from the Lord. Absolutely. You know, the, the world does uses deductive reasoning to select a mate 
in some instances, but as believers, we need to be looking for the voice of God to have his rubber stamp on it. Mm. And the Lord spoke to me on the way to our first date. And I heard him say in my spirit, this is the man that I've chosen to be your soulmate. Okay. And he um, heard a similar thing. Mm-hmm. And so that's what caused us to move forward because we heard God say, this is the one I've chosen for you. Right. And I, we can't say that we'd ever heard that before with any, our, with any of our other relationships. Other relationship was mainly based on feelings mm-hmm. and the checklist, you know, because we all have, most of us have checklists for our mate, which starts that fantasy to build, you know? But it was the voice of the Lord, and mm-hmm. we needed that because we we went back to that through all our hard times. And I'll be honest and say that there were times that if I didn't, if I wasn't confident that I had heard the voice of God say that this was to be my husband, I don't know that I would have stayed okay. many, on many occasions. And so... God knew we needed to hear that because he knew hard times were ahead and he knew we were going to need that assurance that we didn't make a mistake. Yeah. Let's, let's talk about that for a little bit. And both of you guys can, can talk about this. How is it that you know that you're hearing God? What does your relationship with God look like in your life so that you know that whenever God speaks, that it's actually God and not just an imagination? Well, I think that the easy answer, the simple answer is, is that there's an inner witness within you. It's a still small voice, mm-hmm. not an audible voice. I've never heard the audible voice of God. It's a, it's something that bubbles up, you know, when I'm listening, when I'm quiet and sometimes when I'm not, I mean, I could be busy and I, I but there is a, there's a level of truth in it that I know didn't come from me. It's kind of like what Jesus said to Peter. Hey, mm-hmm. you didn't get that from yourself. You got that from from God, the Father revealed that to you. And so I think that we, in our spirit, man, that's where we hear, you know, and it's in that inner voice. And that's where the peace comes typically. And the the truth for me gives me a sense of confidence that God is with me and I have some direction. Right. Ultimately, you have to test it, you know, and I think that everything that we hear from God is to be tested. And so... I think the easiest way is, you know, to look at others and say, you know, what are you hearing? And what does the word of God say? You know, and so, but I really feel like that this is how God directs us a lot of times, especially when it comes to these really big decisions, you know? And so we look at, we look at the principles of marriage and we understand that it's, it's what God wants for us, Mm -hmm. but that inner witness that we need, that comes when we yield and and we listen, and then sometimes we have to wait because maybe he doesn't answer right away. You know, I mean, maybe maybe it comes after weeks or months of listening. Yeah, and so it can it can be a little challenging. And when your emotions get in the way, things can get cloudy. Darlene, just uh, if you could explain to me about what it's like when you hear the voice of the Lord. Well, I'm going to start by saying it requires a level of trust. When you invite Jesus to be Lord of your life. You're inviting him into a deep place and inviting him to be, um, for you to be dependent on him. Like when you say yes to him, you're saying, yes, I'm going to be dependent on you. And you would not say that to somebody you didn't trust. You know, you wouldn't make that kind of commitment to a God that you didn't trust. And so I've always had a deep trust in the Lord. Mm -hmm. And so 
and you have to have the confidence. And it says in the word that he's our father and we're his sons and daughters and that he's a good, good father and that he has good for us. And so I've just always had that deep trust. And when I hear him talk to me is usually an I statement, you know, like, I love you. You are my daughter, like in first person. And I heard him say in Philip's car that night on the way to our date, you know, this is the soulmate that I've chosen for you. And so that's not your, you know, your own words in your head. And, you know, yes, I hear people say, well, how do you know it's not the enemy? The distinction is, and he get, he's given us spiritual discernment. It's one of the nine gifts of the spirit to know how to discern good and evil, you know, and that doesn't sound like the voice of the enemy. <laughs> the enemy doesn't sound loving No, it doesn't. And, and doesn't sound like a good father. And so that's where I'm going to land and hearing the voice of God is that first you have to have that trust to know that if he says he loves you and he says he's going to guide you, then he says, then he's going to give you guidance. Yes. In the way that you hear it, you know, we have spiritual senses. We can see and hear and feel in the spirit. And so that's how I engage with God is through my spirit, just like Philip said. And so it's not an audible voice per se, like you, Mm -hmm. but it's going to be something that you get internally and trust that it's not, that it's God and not, and not just you right. making things up. And so you have to, and that comes with discernment. And that's something that you can ask to have is the gift of discernment. The Lord said, you can ask for any gift and he'll give it to you. That's good. I think one of the things that you guys have kind of alluded to is that this wasn't the first time that you were hearing God speak, because no. this is a big decision that you're going to, who you're going to spend the rest right. of your life with. But you guys have already developed that relationship with the Lord. Yes. You've learned to hear his voice so that whenever you did hear God speak, in such a big issue, you knew that it was God and you had that confidence so that whenever you had those rough seasons in life, you could always go back to say, I know that this is what God has said. And I know in my life, that's been very good for me to know the things that God has said, because there's times where I've tried to add on to the things that I've believed that God said. And those are the times that get me in trouble. But having that relationship with the Lord that you guys were talking about, that you know his voice. And uh, Jesus says, my sheep know my voice and they will not turn to another. Yeah, that's great that you guys have cultivated that leading up to that big decision. So you fell out of the uh, the minivan or the backseat of the minivan. So how did that, you know, asking asking her father for her hand in marriage, how did that go? <laughs> my mom probably felt like, oh, bless his heart. Since he drove all this way and fell out and fell up, uh, passed out in the backseat of my van, I, surely I should let my daughter marry him. <laughs> uh, you know, I think... It went, it went better than I expected. You know, at that point, at that age in my life, I was nervous, very anxious, very, you know, very uh, humble in the moment. And yet I knew that that was the right thing to do. And so I was also having to look for a moment when I could talk to the two of them and, you know, not have her around because they didn't know what I was there for. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, they may have just thought I was there just to visit and meet the family or something. And so I called them alone for a moment and I looked at them and I looked at her father and I said, Hey, I, I really want to marry your daughter. Do I have your permission to marry her? And he was super gracious. Her dad is a, such a sweet man. And he just, he said, I'd, I'd be honored for you to be my son-in-law. Mm-hmm. And so we were all kind of hugging and doing all that kind of stuff. And it was sweet. 
Yeah, so it went really, really well. And was that your first interaction with them? Totally. This is the first time I'd ever met them. And so <laughs> that takes guts right there, man. Yeah. Well, as I said, you know, I'm either going to get shot down in another long bus ride back to Virginia Beach or. You know, I'm going to get a little favor here and maybe find a better path back to the beach. But yeah, <laughs> uh, it went, uh, like I said, it went better than I could expect. And that really was, wasn't around them very long, but they're very warm people. So it was, it was nice. That's great. So how long from the engagement until you guys actually got married? Nine months. Nine months. Well, six months from the engagement. It was so. Nine months total. Nine months yeah, total our before marriage was nine months. Oh, wow. We knew we we wanted to get married. So we're both counseling um, students getting our master's in counseling. So we're counseling with a high priority. And so Philip instigated us getting pre-engagement counseling. Has anyone ever heard of that? Pre-engagement counseling? Pre-engagement counseling. Okay. And then he popped the question and then we we went back for premarital counseling. So we had double duty before we got married. Not that it helped at all. (laughs) (laughs) It was wonderful. (laughs) No, and um, it did help. It it did. um, I can't imagine how thing how worse things would have been had we not done that, laid that groundwork. Yeah, the uh, topic of your book is the unperfect marriage liberation for couples trapped in the fantasy of perfection, and I want to talk about that because in this day and age, you know we're inundated with social media and Instagram and people use filters on their pictures and they're only posting the ones that are the highlights from their days. I've had a lot of friends get married and I see a lot of people focus on the wedding day, but not the marriage. Um, They focus more on that day. And it's like, no, that's the first day of the next 50, 60 years until death does you part. How did the preconceived ideas that you had going into marriage, how did those kind of, uh, break apart and uh, get reconstructed. I think the easiest way to say it is, is that we didn't know we had them. Yeah. Okay. We really thought that we had done our homework, that we were prepared, that we had understanding. We knew we were coming from dysfunctional families. My dad was an alcoholic and very abusive and she came from a very enmeshed and dysfunctional family. There was lots of violence and challenges And so neither one of us, although her parents had become Christians and worked out a lot of stuff in their life, um, they still had a lot of dysfunction in their marriage. And so neither one of us had good role models in that sense. But we both had decided that, you know, in in our Christian growth and in our understanding of ourselves and everything, we were ready. We really thought we were ready. And so we were blind to the whole issue of how fantasy was driving us. Mm. And, and so I really think that that's the case for most people. I mean, uh, in writing the book, I realized I had this experience where, you know, I went back and I actually saw the day that that fantasy began, Mm. you know, Mm. and it's amazing how that kind of stuff, like the light bulb comes on, but typically it doesn't come on until, you know, stress and, problems and disconnection and arguments and all that stuff starts to come up. Yeah. So can you tell me about that realizing that when that fantasy began, could you break that down for me? Because as a, as a single guy looking for a spouse, I want to kind of learn from some of the path that you've, that you've taken. Sure. So for me, it began, my parents would get into these really ugly arguments and my dad was very domineering. And so 
he would get abusive and hurt my mom. And my two brothers who were older would try to fix the situation. And I would run Mm. because I was scared. I was the little boy and I went out the back door, you know, nine, 10 years old, crying, kind of ran down the street to a friend's house, uh, seeking stylus and, you know, rolled up on this split level home. And there's my friend and his family sitting with TV dinners, watching Disney. And I'm crying and I'm thinking to myself, someday I'm going to have what my friend has. Mm. And I just didn't realize how that kind of almost turned into an inner vow. Like I'm going to, I'm going to find this, I'm going to make it work, you know? Right. And so that was, yeah, that was where it all began. It began with just that little snapshot, you know? So your, your fantasy for a marriage was Disney channel and TV dinners. <laughs> That's right. Had I only known like, <laughs> I out to like 20 plus years later, if I thought that Disney movies and TV dinners would have made him happy. <laughs> right. Well, and really it was, it was, so this is, this is kind of how the fantasy really goes is, is that yeah. I wanted a Mary Poppins who would make my life happy. I wanted her to be happy. I wanted her to make everybody else happy. I wanted her to make me happy. I wanted that bubbly personality who was always happy. And then, but I wanted her to look like a Dallas Cowboy cheerleader. You love the Dallas Cowboys. Because <laughs> I thought someday I'm going to go play for them because I played football. You know, that's part of the fantasy too. I'm going to be this great big football right. player and I'm going to find my cheerleader who has the personality of Mary Poppins. No, no small order there. No, no, that's uh, that just happened to be me. <laughs> I met this little girl from Texas who had a bubbly personality, and I did the double take. So you kind of figure I, I figured it all out. <laughs> it definitely seems like those boxes that were being checked for you they didn't check, man. And I didn't even realize I didn't even put all of that together. I mean, literally in my choosing her, didn't put all that together. But yeah, it took us years to unpack all this. Right. Just right. fun. So I just want you to. <laughs> There's no assessment clear. that says, you know, hey, what is your <laughs> fantasy for marriage? <laughs> I gotcha. I gotcha. So, uh, Darlena, what was your idea of, a, of what your marriage was going to look like? Well, I, I want to say this first. It's something that popped into my head because you initially asked the question, you know, how do you, how does the fantasy begin? Yeah. I'm going to speak on behalf of what I feel like believers can get stuck in. And because we went to a Christian university, this is something we heard all the time is that, oh, he's a Christian. He's so cute. We pray together and we have devotions together. And in their mind, I mean, that must mean that we should be together, you know? And no, that's not. That doesn't mean you're supposed to be together because he's a Christian, you're a Christian, you read your Bible, he reads your Bible, and y'all pray together at the end of your day. Does not mean that that's what God meant for you to be together. There's, you know, look for the voice of God, not for the little goo-goo feelings that you get because that you finally found a a good-looking Christian guy that actually prays with you. That's not the criteria, <laughs> but we can get stuck in that. But uh, to answer your question about how my fantasy started to develop, I just like Philip grew up in a very dysfunctional home and I used fantasy to check out as a coping skill okay. to deal with my a violent environment that I grew up in. And so I had a lot of fantasy going on. I fantasized what it was like to not live in my family what it'd be like to live in a happy home, just like Philip. Mm. 
And I was a part of a wealthy family and a very wealthy friend group. Like I hung out with the high society kids in our, our town, our little country town as high society as you can get in a small country, Texas town. Uh But what I didn't get to be a part of was the country club life as my family owned their own business. And so while they worked, I had to be the babysitter. So I was always stuck at home while my friends were at the country club. And it was daunting. It was like torturous for me to know that all my friends were out having fun and I was stuck at home. And, and I began to develop uh, FOMO back then, the fear of missing out. And I remember this one particular day when I made an inner vow. One of my friends called me from the country club. I could hear laughter in the background and she invited me out to um, have fun with them. And I had to tell her that I couldn't go. And she was like, you know, did the, ah, you know, like really drawn out, like, but why we're having so much fun. And my heart just sank in that moment. And I felt so many emotions. I felt anger. I felt resentment for about my life, but I also felt shame because I couldn't be normal. And, and I, I didn't, I couldn't have the life I wanted. And I felt so trapped and imprisoned in my life. And I made this inner vow that I was going to have that country club life someday. And so attached with that is that I'm going to marry a man that can give me that country club life. And so my fantasy began then. And of course, because I grew up in Texas, I grew up rodeoing and going to the horse races. I loved cowboys. And so my fantasy guy was going to be, you know, a good old uh, Southern boy in Wranglers and boots and make enough money that we can have a country club life. So that's how mine started. I didn't unpack that, you know, until later on and realize what I put him through. So, so what was the catalyst that helped you guys realize that what you went into marriage thinking this was going to be, and you're realizing that this isn't that, what did you, what finally happened that you said, okay, we need to actually unpack this and kind of get counseling for this ourselves. Well, I think that it was developmental, right? So it didn't happen with one event and then we got counseling and marriage was all better. It's been at different life stages, you know, changes that needed to happen in us and things that have happened over the years and, you know, in different levels of maturity and all of that. But I think the easiest thing to say is, is that for me, it started when my job at the mega church crashed and, and I realized that, you know, the lane that I was running in was this performance lane Mm. and Uh, you know, we were growing this massive church and we were going around the world doing ministry and all this amazing stuff was happening. And then one day our senior leader came in and, you know, basically took a left turn in his faith and sent me in a tailspin. And at the time married with three girls and I'm like, goodness, you know, there goes my dream job. And so out of all that, I burned out, eventually got physically sick. And my thought was, is, wait a minute, I did what they told me to do. I went to the right school. I married the right girl and I went to work for the right church. How did I end up here? Mm. And so I'm burned out. I don't have a job. I worked for a church that became a cult. You know, now what are we going to do? No one wants to even talk to me about, you know, working at their church 
And so I felt exiled. Oh, wow. And it was, you know, I didn't change my faith. Right, right. You know, I didn't. But you're associated with that. Yeah, I didn't say the Bible wasn't inerrant. I didn't say that there were many ways to God. I didn't say all those things that were being said. And so it was, it was devastating. And so in those days, you know, you just didn't, you didn't have the connections and network that a lot of people have nowadays. And so, I mean, we were on the backside of the desert Mm. and, and that led to burnout and actual physical sickness, almost dying. And so then at that point, we were really blaming each other for the spiral and the, you know, just the depression and heaviness that was on our life. Darlena, tell me about your side of that. Well, for me, that was definitely created a shift, you know, him almost losing Philip. But the flip side of the story is that he did get healed. Amen. And while he was laying on our couch, looking like he was going to die because the doctors couldn't do anything for him, I was struggling with suicidal depression. So the way I say it is that he was dying and I wanted to die. And, you know, I'm just going to go back to God, you know, the but God story mm-hmm. that there was divine intervention as we discovered a program that we were able to go to where Philip got healed and I got healed and it just flipped our lives upside down. And it caused us to really reevaluate what mattered when you're facing death. It does something to you. You know, you start to ask yourself, you know, what really matters in life and does all this desire for a country club life and all the things, Mm -hmm. does it really matter? And so we really changed a lot. You know, deep down in our soul, our values and, and our relationship changed. And so that was a very pivotal time and things were good for several years. So we, we rolled in this, this, um, this new place that we were in. And then we moved to a community that was very high performance and we began to fall prey to the performing and the perfecting and the pleasing again, trying to build relationships and establish ourselves in this new community, then that's when I, I had my crash and burn. I felt like I went through this really hard three years that I call the dark night of the soul. And it was my coming out of that and finding my way back to God. Cause I felt like I was disconnected from him and I didn't, Uh, feel him anymore. But God always has a rescue ship for us. You know, he always has options. He always has solutions and they're always so great. And so he did send a rescue boat for me in my really dark time. And as well, I was coming out of that, that I had this recognition that what, what was, I was struggling with was exhaustion from hiding and shame hiding all that was wrong in our marriage, all that was wrong with me, all that was wrong with our kids. And as I began to try and work my way out of that, the shame of everything not lining up according to fantasy is that when I had that revelation, like, Oh my gosh, look what we've been doing. We've been holding these fantasies up against each other. And when you do that to your spouse, they are never going to measure up. They're never going to please you. And I had came to this place where I believed that was just a disappointment to Philip because I didn't measure up to his fantasy. I wasn't Mary Poppins. Mm. I wasn't a Dallas Cowboy cheerleader. I wasn't Mother Teresa spiritually. And so I felt like a disappointment. And you 
you fall prey to a lot of lies when you start to believe these things. And so it was working my way out of those lies and us beginning to work uh, really hard on getting that place back of contentment again was then we had the revelation about the fantasy and the Lord really started to help us to unravel all of that and realize what we've been doing to each other all these years. And I really had to go to repent to Philip and say, I'm sorry that I haven't seen you in our marriage because I've been too busy looking at a fantasy that I wanted to live up to. And so when that fantasy fell, we like, we lowered the fantasy. We were able to really see each other for who we really were. When you can do that, then you can allow your spouse to be who they were meant to be and love them for who they really are and not love them with expectations. expectations. Yes. So how did you guys walk through that process? What did that, what did that kind of look like? Well, I think that over time it looked like us trying to change each other. You know, we realized we were in trouble. And so the, you know, the struggle was, is that, Hey, you're making me feel inadequate. Hey, you're making me feel mad. Hey, you know, and so we were, we were in that cycle And then we realized that wasn't working. And this big revelation came to me because Darlena struggled with rage. And so the rage was obviously a problem. I thought it was the only problem we had. I thought her anger issues were the only problem. And I thought, Mm -hmm. if you'll be more mature in your walk with God and do your part, then we'll have a great marriage. But until you stop being angry all the time, we're never going to have a great marriage. And so mm-hmm. hauled her across the country to the best counselor I could find, paid through the nose for this counselor. And I'm sitting there with him and several other couples. And I look at him and I tell her, tell him about all her rage issues. And I'm thinking to myself, he's going to zero in on her and begin to fix her, you know, right there. And, you know, and so... He looks at me and he says, so when your wife is angry, what kind of man do you want to be? I was like, Hey, hey, you didn't hear me. You you didn't get it. You know, she has a rage problem. She's little, but she has a real big problem. And he said, look, he said, until you see that you have a choice on how you react you're going to lay in this place. You're going to stay in this place of being a victim the rest of your life. And he said, do you know why she gets angry? I said, absolutely. She's little, she's strong, and she loves to be in control. And until she's in control, she's going to beat you down with her tongue. And I was that adamant about it. And he looked at her and he said, Hey, why do you struggle with anger? And she said, cause I'm overwhelmed. Hmm. And I went, huh? said, yeah, we have four kids. He travels a lot doing ministry and stuff. And I just get overwhelmed and he comes in and he asks the same question every time. What are you doing? And I feel like I can never get it right. I can never measure up. Yeah. And so he began to empower me and help me to see how I could be a part of the solution because that's what I wanted to be. And I could empathize with the fact that my wife is overwhelmed and not trying to control me. But for years, I believe that that's what all that was about. And so what I came to realize was, is my struggle was no less impactful than hers. Mm -hmm. She may have had rage, but I would withdraw and punish her with silence for three days at a time. And so, you know, we had this way that we would dance in, in this fear and anger. 
And so we, we, we started taking a look at ourselves. That's when the freedom came. It wasn't, hey, you fix yourself and hey, let's read all these books about communication and blah, blah, blah. It was no, why do I have this reaction? Where is it coming from? Well, I knew where it came from. I did the same thing when my dad raged. I pulled away. I was like, you're not getting me. You're not going to control me. I'm out. And so that very same thing. So when that, when I allow the Lord to heal that, then I could actually be present and be supportive of her. Wow. That's really good. So thank the Lord that your marriage was, was saved, even though it was, uh, looks like it was really rocky at that point. But oh, yeah. uh, yes. thank the Lord that you're now at a place where you're coaching and mentoring and counseling other people. I want to hear a little bit about Be Courageous Coaching and how God's using you with that ministry. Well, we have have really powerful connection with the story of Joshua and the children of Israel crossing the Jordan. So many times in, in the book of Joshua, it says to be strong and courageous. And that is so much a, a part of who we are. We realize that one of our superpowers is being brave and doing brave things. Part of our purpose is to ignite that same kind of courage in other people to be brave and do brave things for the point of becoming the person that you were born to be and, and to make your marriage what it was meant to be because we're not going to blow smoke and say, all oh, this was easy for us. I mean, you read the book that you will see that it was hard, but it's when you say you, you know, you put on your brave and you say yes to the hard, right? That's where you've, um, are able to reach deep down in your soul and find the things that are keeping you stuck, keeping you in ruts in your mind. And that was the hard work. You have to do the hard work and the hard work and that's, and be willing to have the courage to, as Brene Brown says, you know, Trump, you know, walk through or trudge through the swampland of your soul because there's no easy way around it. And if I, and that's what we said yes to, that's why we're still together because we said yes to the hard. We didn't run from the, the discomfort. Cause that's where people draw a line in the sand a lot of times and say, we're done with this relationship when it comes to dealing with our own hearts. It's easy to blame your spouse. Yeah. What's not easy is to deal with your own ugly mm-hmm. and to deal with what is what the, um, the bad things and the wrong things and the inappropriate behavior that you're bringing to the relationship. Right. And it was when he discovered that his pulling away and <clears throat> was just as um, unhealthy as my coming at was and that he had issues to work on as well. It freed me up from feeling like that I was the problem and carrying that burden to really work on myself in a healthy way. And it was at that point when we, when we both began to work on our own hearts as when things changed for us. Well, and I think that if, if we speak specifically to what we do as a ministry, it's we realize that there are a number of levels of what you have to offer people. And so we do the bigger events where we, you know, put out information and 
talk about processes and stuff like that. But a lot of times what, what we're focused on is the, the deeper things, yeah. right? So we're, we're trying to go after the deeper yes. things. Our heart's desire is transformation because that's what's liberated us. You want to know how to get liberated. It's by being transformed. And so transformation is an inside out change. It's healing those things that are triggers. Mm. It's healing those things and those beliefs that we carry from our childhood into relationships. And as those things are healed, it changes everything. And so sometimes some couples come and see me personally for one or two days and I spend two days with them and we unpack it all. We walk it all through and there's a great deal of healing. And then we walk with them for a season as they work it out. Sometimes we do it in a weekend where we have an unperfect marriage weekend and we work with couples on that level, you know, and then a lot of times we're doing this kind of thing where we're just kind of scattering seed and telling people our story. Uh, and, and I feel like you have to have some of all of it in order to help people. And, and so we, we believe in that, but we also know that information only falls short. Yeah. Yes. Falls short. There's, yeah. there's gotta be process and process involves intimate small group relationship stuff and work where couples are given a chance to process. I don't want to look at a couple and say, mm. I see this fear cycle in your life and not help them process that. Because yes. they walk out of there like tormented by it. Right. You know, now I see I have this problem. What do I do? You know, it's like saying, hey, yeah. you got cancer. I hope it works out for you. You know? Oh, wow. Yeah. You know? That would be very scary. Yeah. 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 So we, we don't just kind of unpack stuff with people. We unpack and do the work and help them heal it. And yeah. then we walk with them as they walk it out. We help so. them take action. You know, when you go to a seminar or a marriage conference and you get a bunch of knowledge, you know, you've been handed a grocery cart full of stuff that you got to go home and, and use. And we give people time to practice and to use the tools. And my point was in what I just said was that we, we do have degrees in counseling. We do have lots of coach training, mm. but we feel like what makes us um, effective is what we've been through. We don't ask people to do anything that we haven't done ourselves because we've done the heart work and the hard work. And we help people do the brave things that are required to get on the other side of the mess. Yeah on the other side of their pain, the other side of their past and to have the marriage that God intended and be the person that God intended. And so, and we've done it all, all ourselves, And that's what I feel like makes us different yeah. and, and more and, and very effective because we're not giving people book knowledge. We're not just teaching communication skills. And this is what we learned from school. We're giving people real stuff that we have done and overcome and brought us through a very hellish marriage yeah. on the other side. And that's why we wrote the book. Cause like we live to tell about it. Yeah. So if we live to tell about it, then let's use it to help other people. Absolutely. I mean, if you can use your tests as a testimony to help other people, that's wonderful. That's what I believe God wants us to do rather than just kind of locking those experiences away and keeping that, wisdom and knowledge that we've gained just for ourselves. 
you put a lot of yourselves into this book. I like how both of you guys have written it in your own voices. And, and as you read it, you can kind of see, okay, Phil's writing this part. Uh, Darlene is writing this and you, you have your own, you have your own voice in there. And that's, that's great. <laughs> so one of the questions that I love asking people, listeners, if you're going through their book, The Unperfect Marriage, they're going to talk about probably one of these stories that I'm going to ask about right now. But what has happened in your life that showed you that Jesus was actually right there with you, but you felt like you were alone and you didn't realize that he was actually right there with you until you look back? Yeah. So I'll never forget. Um, I was so sick that I could only sleep two hours a night and I lived with a temperature of 102 degrees all the time. And so my body was just full of pain and I was in this place and I really, I can't say that I had faith. I can't say that I um, responded well to that. And in a lot of ways, I just gave up. And I thought to myself, I'm going to die. My daughters are going to be fatherless. My wife is going to be widowed. And I don't have faith. I don't have what it takes to make it through this moment. And I will never forget this coming to me when I was showering to go see yet another doctor, he said, I'm going to heal you, but I need you to get real with me. Hmm. And, and it was like this because at that point I wouldn't have, there's no way that would have came out of my mouth or out of and been floating around in my head. I was in so much pain. I just literally wanted to stop hurting. And so it was the seed of hope. You know, hope feels, faith sees. I couldn't see. Yeah. And at that moment, that little voice gave me this feeling that there could be hope, that there could be another outcome. And that seed really was the beginning of my own personal transformation and certainly my own physical healing. And and when I look back at that, uh I know that that was a divine act of God to, to speak to me and to begin that healing process and to give me that seed of hope. And nine months later, I was healed. I, was, I can't say that it happened in sort of one thing, but there were many things that God asked me to do. And a bunch of that was about forgiving people and letting, you know, things that I had built up in my own heart and, and probably the biggest one was my own disappointment myself, you know, so it was cool. I mean, that, that led to a whole new level of freedom in my life. Yeah, absolutely. Now, if you could go back in time and speak to yourself, a younger version of yourself and give yourself some advice with the wisdom and knowledge that you have now, what's going on in your life and what would you, what would the advice be? I think the, the, the advice I would give my younger self is wait learn to wait, learn to be present in what you have, whether it's your children, your marriage, you know, the relationships that God has put in your life, but learn to wait and waiting by not necessarily like doing nothing and waiting for something to happen, but enjoy that season of your life because God is using all of this to build who you need to be. You know, and so I had this impatience 
I was going to save the world before supper. You know, I'm gonna, <laughs> I was going to be, you know, making history. And so I was always about the big thing. We had to do something big. We had to be making a big splash. And I realized I have a big heart, which I didn't, you know, that's really what fueled a lot. I had lots of passion, but thank God I didn't marry a big woman, but you know, it just, it's just that thing that you, you realize about yourself and you look back and it, it didn't have to be the big moments. Mm. It wasn't the big moments. It was those moments when, you know, you're holding your daughter on your lap and she's enjoying you and you're enjoying her or, you know, you kiss your wife for no reason, you know, or you say something to a stranger that empowers them for a day. You know, it's like, mm. that's living. That's living. Cause you're there, you're enjoying it. You're taking it in yeah. and you're not trying to build this great big future for this great big thing that you think you're called. To. That's something I struggle with all the time is being patient in the moment because I do have vision and dreams that I want to achieve. So that I appreciate that reminder. Um, mm-hmm. I know that's what you would tell your younger self, but that ministers to me right now. I've, mm-hmm. I've got I've got goals and things that I'm trying to do and checklists and things like that. But being present in that moment and allowing God to use you in that moment is mm-hmm. really important. Yeah. And yeah. Darlena, what about you? Where where when you look back at your life, do you see Jesus that you didn't see at that moment? Well, I know that Jesus was with me, even though I couldn't feel Him during those those dark years because something really phenomenal began to happen is that I started finding dimes everywhere in crazy places. And like I'd open the dryer and there'd be one I'd open the car and there's one in the parking lot and literally crazy things. Like there was a dime on the table in the morning where there wasn't a dime before. And I started to really ask, you know, like what is all this dime finding? And I started to look up the number 10 and, and it meant full circle and the number of perfection, mm. which is interesting. We call our book, the unperfect. I started to realize that those were signs from the Lord that you don't feel me, but I'm with you. And I have a plan. I have a plan to take you full circle because I started to have spiritual meaning to me. And then I got to this really hard place where I feel like I can't, I can't go on until you change something in me. I can't live like this. And I heard his voice again for the first time in a really long time as as strong as I did in the car that night where Mm -hmm. the Lord told me that Philip was to be my husband. I heard the Holy spirit say on the inside of me that I'm going to refresh you, renew you and reposition you in ministry, but I need you to obey the next step. And what he asked me to do was something I didn't want to do, but I obeyed and obeying the Lord it's so key when you're wanting to transform your heart and when you're wanting to change as obedience is better than sacrifice. And it's obeying the things that I didn't want to do that had so much victory on the other side of it. And what I said yes to led me to this whole year of just encountering the love of God, like I'd never known before that really helped unravel me and all that I had wrapped up in my belief about what I wanted out of marriage, what I wanted out of life, what I wanted out of my children. And at at the end of it all was the revelation of the fantasy that I had been allowing this fantasy of a life that I wanted to drive me 
drive my marriage, drive me personally, drive my children. And fantasy is not anything that can ever come to pass. It can only happen in the movies and in pictures. And I, when I turned that fantasy over to the Lord and asked him to help me dream instead of fantasize and to really move into his dreams for me is when everything began to change. And I could, and I saw the hand of God during those dark years and and without a shadow of a doubt, I knew it was him. Like he, he will carry you. Everybody's heard this, that poem, the footprint story, you know, you know, that there was not no longer two sets of footprints is when he was carrying you. And he literally does. He carries you through the hard times and he always has a rescue plan. Darlene, if you could go back and talk to your younger self, what advice would you give? I would say something similar to what Philip said. And it was not, not be driven by the goal, by the fantasy, by the dream so hard and fast that you don't experience the middle, that you don't experience what happens from the A to Z, that you don't have, that you don't get so focused on driving for that dream that you miss those ordinary moments. I feel up that emotional when you're, when you could sit with your children in the floor and play with them. Instead, you're choosing to get tasks done, you know, because at the end of your life, that's what matters. Those ordinary moments, because that's when we connect with our humanness. It's in the hard times where we, you know, we just get on the floor in our pajamas and, and look at each other and, you know, without performance, without perfection, without expectation, and just really connect. And that's what I would say is to, to be intentional about experiencing the journey and not missing the moments that matter that may seem really ordinary and mundane because we live in a society that chases after the extraordinary, that chases after stardom, that chases after success. And chasing after those things, you can miss the ordinary. And at the end of your life, the ordinary moments is what matter. Those because those ordinary moments is where you build deep connection and true relationship. You can't take anything else with you. And when you when you leave this earth, that's what people are going to remember about you is how connected that you were and the beauty of your life, not that you were driven for, for perfection and run after fantasy. Could I ask you guys a favor? Could you please pray? for myself and for anybody that's listening, that we wouldn't be caught in that fantasy, but we would really receive God's dream. So much of what we're talking about right now and over this last almost hour is that a lot of the issues that we have is because of these preconceived ideas that we've built up, whether it be our marriage or our job situation, whatever that might be, and we've chased after this fantasy. Would you guys please pray right now that we would go from that fantasy world to God's dream for our lives. Yeah, Lord. So we, we ask in the name of Jesus that you would minister to everybody who's listening, help them Lord to let go of the fantasy Lord, help them to recognize the fantasy, help them to see it. And help them to let go of it. Lord, I pray that that those wounds, that the thing that they missed out on in, in childhood and 
different experiences in their life, Lord, I pray that the thing that they missed out on would not drive them in, in desperation. I pray, Father, that you would help them to see that their lack is not the foundation to build on. Help them to discern, Lord, that that you are with them and that their security and their significance comes primarily from you. Mm. And so, Lord, I pray that their hearts would be filled with knowing that they are your sons and daughters, that they are loved, that they are accepted, and they're they're fully embraced for who they are. And, and I pray that there would just be a freedom from fantasy and there would be this exchange, this exchange and a true move of your, your spirit in their life. Let there be a true movement and, and that they would find the desires of their heart that you put there in Jesus name. Father God, I just close up by, by praying that, that the listeners would see and hear that, that there is so much more to life than being driven by perfection and performance to, to have the, the American dream that we get told that we can have if we do all the right things, we can have the white picket fence and the house and the cars and all the things. But Father, what there's so much more and there's so much more to having a life of purpose and father that they would chase after purpose rather than perfection. Cause it's when we discover our purpose here on the earth, our purpose for our marriage, our purpose for ourselves and our families that we can settle in to the fact that we were born for a reason. We were put on the earth for a reason. It was not to run after perfection, but it's to, Instead, run with a baton that you handed us for the goal of the prize of the high calling of God. That's what matters. Everything else in life is a distraction. But our goal is to run after purpose. We're put on the earth to run after the prize. And that's destiny and purpose and a call and the call of God on our life. And it's in that that you will find the connection, that you will find your dream, that you will find the love that you long for and that you were intended to have as sons and daughters of God. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, guys. I really appreciate that. I've enjoyed just getting a glimpse into your journey along your way. And if you want to find out more information about Philip and Darlena Fields, you can go to BeCourageousCoaching.com and you can find links for their book, The Unperfect Marriage, there. I am grateful that you guys have allowed me to join you along your way. Thank you. Thanks, John. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Philip and Darlena. If you want to know more about them and how to get their book, I'll be providing their info in the show notes, including a link to watch their interview on my TV show, Real Life. Thank you for listening to Along the Way. If you've enjoyed joining me along my way, please share this with a friend who you think will be encouraged by this podcast. Also, please rate and review Along the Way on iTunes. That helps more people discover Along the Way. And subscribe to this podcast wherever you're listening. You can follow me on Facebook, Instagram, and at my website, alongtheway.media. I hope that you've enjoyed this part of my journey. And may you realize when Jesus is walking with you along your way.
Along the way is honored to be part of the Charisma Podcast Network. You can find tons of spirit-filled content from their vast catalog of podcasts, including my Monday through Friday news stories for the Charisma News Podcast. Go to cpnshows.com to see the full list and latest episodes.